0: Look at that. Live and feeding. Purple is the color today. I don't know if you noticed how many people were wearing purple here this morning. I'm like, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> I didn't know it was purple day. Did you know it was purple day, Carmen? No, I did not, I did not know that either. I, I guess. <laughs> hey, we're doing a series on discipleship. And... Um, the Bible tells us to make disciples. Say it. It's what Jesus, what Jesus wants. Learners under discipline. Those who a disciple is one who learns and then one who disciplines themselves to do the thing that they are learning. Say this with me. Discipleship, discipleship is, learning, is learning, doing, doing and, understanding. and understanding. Part of our discipleship is understanding. Understanding the mind of God, understanding the heart of God, understanding the purposes of God, understanding the things that God wants for us. Understanding who he is, who we are, and the meaning of it all. Say it, they're working on it. Working on That's it. right, I got Jesus. feedback, I got angels singing. Jesus. <laughs> Somebody told me, they said, whenever you hear ringing, I don't know if this is, he gets this from, uh, what is the movie? Uh, it's a wonderful life. He said, yeah, whenever you hear w- ringing, that means angels are around. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. Ooh, 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 ooh. So, we're, <laughs> we're talking about knowing the Lord. Uh, the disciple, the part that we're at right now is knowing God. And this is called the theology of God or the understanding of God. We're just going to do an over. We did an overview last week. We're going to get a little bit more specific this week. And then we're going get we're going to talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to talk about the Father... But the human, abo- the human approach, man, if he believes in God, if he believes in God at all, man believes that God is transcendent, which means he's far, far away. And while that's true, he's transcendent in a sense that he's, dist- he's, he's there, he's beyond us. That's true. But they believe that God is abstract, that he can't be known. And this is oftentimes known among the true Christians too. God's out there and he can't be known. Mysterious are the ways of the Lord. God works in mysterious ways, Kevin. You've got to understand that. But the, the problem with that is, is the Bible does not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that God cannot be known. The Bible teaches that the Lord can be known. Scripture teaches that He can be known, not just to know who He is. The Bible teaches us that His nature can be known, that His personhood can be known, that His ways can be known. And the most beautiful thing of all, that His heart can be known. Say this with me. Jesus does not have Favorites. But he does have have intimates. As you draw near, you know him. God does not reveal himself to anyone merely on the basis of curiosity. If you want to know the Lord and you want to reach towards him and you want to draw towards him, he will show himself to you. And honesty and humility, you will be. God will reveal more and more, not just through his word. Logos is common knowledge. Revelation is revealed knowledge. So many Christians know God only on the basis of Logos knowledge. But there's a revealed side to Him that is entirely different than that. Revealed is when you experience Him. You experience Ephesians to know the love, to experience the love of God. You can know that about God's love or you can experience that God has loved you. And that God does love you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can know about God's goodness or you can experience God's goodness. It's an entirely different concept of knowledge and unfortunately for the church we've got some foundational things correct we know about things but we don't know certain things experientially and because we don't know experiential knowledge our our interpretations oftentimes are not are not always correct and our lives are not correct one of the greatest revelations is that God is father and you don't need to know that he's father you need to know that he is your father and you need to experience him as your father that's huge. That's not a small thing at all. God can be known because he allows himself to be known. It's the only reason we get to know him. We don't get to know him because, because it, it just can happen. The only reason we can know the Lord is because he allows himself to be known. And he allows himself to be known to mankind in measure. In measure. Even sons and daughters, you have, to, you have to grow in measure of your relationship with Him. You begin to learn Him. You begin to know Him. To the world, He's God. To you, He's Father. We know about that, but we don't, even, we don't know that. Do you know that? And if you do know that, then are you living like that? Does your life reflect that of a daughter of the highest? Does your life reflect that of a son of the highest? And here's my question. If not, why not? Don't tell me what you know, show me how you live. That's a reflection of what you know. If you can't show it, you don't live a lifestyle, a consistent lifestyle that emulates the fact that you're a son of the highest, you don't know that you're a son of the highest. If you can't live a consistent lifestyle that emulates and reflects that you are a daughter of the highest, you don't know that you're a daughter of the highest. You don't. You don't know who you are. You don't know who he is. And you most definitely don't know your inheritance. You know your inheritance. I'm going to point to Tom again. That's not Jesus. An autoimmune disease in, a, in, the, in, the, in the life of a born-again spirit-filled believer is not acceptable. Say it with me. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. Y'all can partner with that, but I refuse. I absolutely refuse. That's not his inheritance. That's not his inheritance. How many, how many people did Jesus afflict with a disease? Can anybody tell me? None. Well, there was Paul. He didn't afflict him with a disease. You're completely wrong. If you came to Firestarters, I broke all that down. Well, Paul was knocked off his donkey in Acts chapter 9, and the Lord blinded his eyes. Yeah? Who told you that? Read the story. I had the whole whole class read, read, read the story. I said, is there a donkey in the story? There's no donkey in the story. Paul didn't get knocked off a donkey. He got knocked to the ground. There's no donkey in that story. You believe there's a donkey in the story because it's been told to you so many times. But it's not in the text. Yeah. You believe he was struck with blindness because you've been told that too many times. If you go to the Greek, the original language, it doesn't use the word blindness. It uses the word disoriented. The translation is blindness. There's only one Greek word that means blindness. And it's tiflos. And it's not used there. It's used, it, the word that's used there is blephon. And it means disoriented clouded. Where am I? Oh my gosh, I can't see. Everything's a little foggy. It's an entirely different thing than being struck with a condition of blindness. God does not afflict people. He does not give diseases. He does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the wrong... You got the wrong God. You got the wrong idea of God. He's a good father. Whether your ideology of God make sense or not, you have to line your life up with truth. Your life as a Christian is not God being conformed into what you think He is. You break the second commandment when you do that. You create a God in your own image. He's not what you think He is. He's who He says He is. You understand that? Say this with me. The Lord Lord is not not who I think he He is. He is who He says He is. And we are to conform ourselves into the image of what he said he is. We got this whole thing. Well, this is how I think God is. This is how I think God is. I'm like, God's not. What do you think? He's just going to. He's just like some clay that you will just allow you to mold him. Well, I think God is like this. And I think God is like that. And I think God is like this. I think this is the way he is. I think he's like that. I think he's like this. Completely wrong. God works in mysterious ways. Who told you that? No, seriously. Who told you that? The Bible says that his ways were known as as means God showed his heart to Israel. Well, I have the verse here. He made his ways known to Moses and he made his deeds known to the children of Israel. What does that mean? It means Moses was intimate with the Lord and submitted unto the Lord to the level where the Lord would not only tell him what he was going to do, he would tell him why he was doing it. Moses knew the ways of the Lord. The people, all they saw was his deeds. That's all they saw. And so they knew of him. Moses knew him. Big difference. So when you think you can't know God's ways, who who told you that? God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. There are things that are unknowable about him. This is true. But he gives us the vast majority of his personhood. The only reason that it's unknowable to us is because we're in a finite condition. That's it. The Bible says when we come before Him, we're going to know all things. All that we can't understand is going to be revealed. to Well, that's why we just have to rest in what we don't understand, Kevin. We have to understand that God works in mysterious ways. We don't know. We don't know. Yet, no, we do know. We do know. We just are not willing to challenge the answer. We're not willing to challenge conventional wisdom. The church creates weak doctrines to validate a weak position. And they're dogmas. They're not doctrines. Doctrines are what the Bible teaches. And so the church will just be run around and tell you that Paul got knocked off a donkey and y'all believe it. We got churches that run around teaching that God gives sickness and everybody believes it. But if you take an average Christian that somebody says that to them, shove them the Bible and say, point to it. You can't. They can't. Well, there's no more tongues. You're too late. I speak in tongues. Sorry. God doesn't prophesy. You're too late. I prophesy. Sorry. There are no dreams and visions. You're too late. I have dreams and visions. God doesn't heal. You're too late. You're too late. You should have told me that like 30 years ago, and then you might have have had a foundation. You're too late. We need to challenge the things that we're taught in light of what God says. Jesus, stay with me. Jesus Jesus is perfect theology. Anything you think you know about God that is not reflected in the personhood of Jesus, you need to challenge that. That storm is of the Lord. Who told you that? Who told you that? How many storms did Jesus redirect? When Jesus was in the middle of the ocean and the storm was raging and he's standing in the midst of it, right? He didn't go, hold on. Hey, hey, guys, watch this. You know, Nineveh has been getting on my nerves lately. Hold on. You guys want to see something? Watch this. And he just cast the storm out over Nineveh. Did he do that? No. Not at all. You say, well, where do storms come from? The Lord allows the consequences of sin. There is a sinful system that produces consequences. It is part of a fallen system. But God is not directly associating himself with that. You reap what you sow. You understand the point here? And so the earth has fallen, the earth produces violence, the earth produces storms, the earth produces volcanoes and earthquakes. But God is not directly involved in that. It's part of a fallen system. That's just the way it is. Sin, sickness and disease. Good God, bad devil. Why do these things happen? They happen because of broken people, sinful people, making sinful choices. And that includes you. A lot of people commit suicide with a knife and a fork. And they wonder why their body falls apart. Well, you're committing suicide with a knife and a fork. You know? Well, God's done this to me. God, what? No. Disease. We have a devil who propagates sickness and disease. He does it by rights. And he does it to see if you know who you are. The enemy does things to you because he has a right to. And why does he have a right? Because you probably opened the door. Or your ancestors did. So we have ancestral sin, we have personal sin, and we have things that people that just are just as jacked up as you, that do to you. We have broken systems doing broken things, but God is not associated with any of that. He's, he has nothing to do with that. We have to get our mindset right. The cornerstone of all kingdom thinking is the goodness of God. And if you're not at that place, your foundation and what you're building on is completely crooked. You need to tear down everything you think you know about God, raise it down to the foundation, and go back and set the cornerstone of the goodness of God in place and build from there. Because if you do not, the house will not stand. Everything is built from the goodness of God. The goodness, say with me, the goodness of God is truth. The goodness of God, come on, is not always reality, but the goodness of God is truth. Okay? So as a Christian, help me out, come on, as a follower of Christ, I am called to pursue the truth until truth becomes the reality. You understand that? You're called to pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. Well, God's good, but that's not my reality. Well, duh, duh, we are pursued the truth until the truth becomes the reality. Some of you, you're manifesting your own things through the choices that you make. You're making dumb choices, stupid things. And you wonder why things happen because you're choosing wrong. He told Cain, sin lies at your door and wants to pounce on you. Sin literally is waiting at your doorstep ready to pounce on you. But if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. If you follow what is right to me, Sin has no power over you. So I'm a Christian. I'm free from sin. No, you're free from the condemnation of sin. You're not free from the consequences of sin in this life, Christian. The condemnation of sin that leads unto salvation is entirely different than the consequences of sin that le- that you that manifest through sinful choices. It's true. Sinful choices produce sinful results. God has not mocked whatsoever man reaps or sows. That shall he reap. He's not mocked. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, you sow to the spirit, you reap life. He's not mocked. You say, What do I do? You repent. Some of you even sowed the wrong seeds. You built on the wrong foundations. You need to repent. You need to declare a crop failure from those bad seeds you planted. You need to go tear up the ground of all of that negative stuff that you put in you. You need to raise the foundation. You've built your house wrong. You're building your house on sand. If your house isn't built on the goodness of God, it will fall. Well, I'm built upon Jesus, yeah? Give me your philosophy of Jesus. Give me your understanding of Jesus. Tell me who you think He is. Show me who, what your understanding of Him is to be, and I'll tell you whether your house is going to fall or not. I'll tell you that right now. It's not hard. If you believe sin, sickness, and disease, poverty, death, and destruction all come from the Lord, your house is coming down. And the devil will help you. Every time something negative happens, he'll be right there. See? God doesn't love you. This is happening because, you know, you think God's good, but he's really not good. He's not good. Then you'll hear another voice. Yeah, he's not good. He doesn't like you. You know, he's good to her, but he's not good to you. You're not worthy of his love. You're not acceptable of his love. God's keeping something from you. He doesn't truly love you. He says he's good, but God's a liar. Who told you that? We know it here. But we don't know it here. That's a problem. <laughs> Most Christians know it. They think that they can obtain things through abstract. By just by doing it like that. Foolish Galatians. Having begun in the spirit. Do you think you can do this in the flesh? Do you honestly think that there's a, a fleshly method. To make this gospel work? No. <laughs> There's no way to make this gospel work in the flesh. The church learns. It's an, it's an inevitability. It's an inevitability. By just trying to do the practice, the right things, and trying to keep your life in a box, you can do that for a while. But inevitably, junk fills out of the box, Christian. Always does. And when we create a culture and a context that's like that, where we all got to keep it in the box and your stuff falls, starts falling out of the box, you don't come to church anymore because you don't want anybody to know that your junk's falling out of the box. That's why I take my junk and I shake it out along the stage every Sunday morning. And you all can go, that's an unholy pastor. I like a pastor who wears a suit and pretends that they have no problems in their life. Yeah? Off you go. There's no, that's not me. That's not me. And that's not the reality of ministers ministers have to work it out just like you pastors are the worst we're the worst we act like we got it all figured out i learned long ago i don't have anything figured out i used to look at these guys like they had the answers hey you got the answer you got the answer they don't i have the answer because i have the holy spirit i'm a completely different i get in these contexts and i get around these guys and it's just like i'm like you know they're like then they just want to give me these like religious little mantras you've got to get in your prayer closet, brother. Just got to get in your prayer closet. Got to get in the Word. Got to find three or four principles. Write those down. Then get in your prayer closet and pray those three, principle, three or four principles back to God. And just wait on Him. If it ha- you just need to wait. If it hadn't happened, then God told you no. Okay. No. He's a Father. And He loves you. He loves you. If you want to understand the Lord, you've got to understand the concept of family. You've got to understand the concept of communalness among the Godhead. He's triune God. He's coexistent, means there's Father, Son, and Spirit. Three gods? No. One God in three persons, coexistent, co eternal, individual in personhood, but unified in nature, a power, and authority. You said, I don't understand that. Well, welcome to the planet. If you understand God, He's not God, Christian. He doesn't explain that to us. He simply declares it, and He's okay with you if with a rattling your cage because He doesn't really care. That's who He is. He's not interested in explaining Himself to you. He declares Himself to you. He doesn't sit there and go, you know, what we we have this thing that like like God needs to come down and explain Himself to you. Who told you that? You know, well, I just think He needs to just come down here and explain Himself to me. You, how arrogant! That is like such an arrogant statement to demand that God come and explain Himself to you. Why don't you just show up? He did. His name's Jesus. He showed up. He did. He came. He showed up. And he's explaining nothing. He calls you to relationship, and from the relationship, he will give you revelation. You'll understand. He's not explaining, he reveals. And people that don't know and Christians that don't know because you have no intimacy with Him whatsoever. Or you operate from a context of religiosity. You go to the prayer closet every morning, but your mindset is so framed in religion that you can't break through the relationship. So true. So true. So true. We got Christians that check all the boxes. We got Christians that are off the reservation and we got Christians that check all the boxes. I mean, they got it high and tight, man. You know? High and tight. (laughs) Hair like wagon train. So long they can sit on it. Pastors that wear just, I mean, amazing suits and ties and just, you know, like that. But we don't, do we know him? Do we we know him? And, And if we do know him, if we do, if we claim to know him, if we claim to know him, then does our life reflect that? And if our life does not reflect the fact that we claim to know Him, we need to ask ourselves why. What is missing that my life does not reflect the fact that I claim the knowledge of the Son? I claim intimacy. What's missing? What's missing, Kevin, is you believe a lie. You believe this. You believe that most Christians are bound with lies. That's, that's just it. And it's sad to say... That we teach people, we reinforce lies. We do a half, churches do half the devil's work for them. Pastors do half the devil's work. The devil doesn't even need to do anything. It's the pastors telling them, that's the Lord afflicting you with that disease. Oh, that poverty's from God. He's teaching you humility. Teaching you humility. Oh, he's teaching you to suffer. Because you see, in his suffering, you become more like him. Again, that's a misapplication of that verse. It's not what it's saying. It's a travail to become like Him. It's a travail for bearing His name. It's not a travail because you got a parking ticket. I'm suffering for Jesus. We've had people say, God's given me this disease. I'm like, who told you that? Well, I just believe it. They want to quote me verses. I'm like, okay, let's look at your verses. Okay, let me show you another way. Let me show you, let me enlighten you as to what you think. Well, so and so says this is true. I'm like, well, so and so's wrong. I'm like, why do you think God gave you this disease? Because he's teaching me about himself. I'm like, really? What are you learning? Anybody? What are you learning? What are you learning? What are you learning? Well, I'm going to break my kids' legs to teach them not to run away from me when they're at the playground. And I'm going to sit little Johnny down. And I'm going to go, Johnny, tell your friends why your legs are broken. My mommy did it to me. <laughs> tell them why. So I can learn not to run away. He's a good God, man. He doesn't do that. I'm telling you. Our calculations of him are completely wrong. And we do it. Why? you People go, well, why, do we do, why, do, why is that taught? Because people can't, the church cannot manifest power. And so if you can't manifest power... You would never say, which I will say, if I can't manifest power, it doesn't mean that I don't have power. If I'm not able to manifest power, it's because I don't know what I'm doing in that situation. There's something I don't know, or there's an application that I'm not applying. I can manifest power plenty. And the church should be able to do it wholesale. Wholesale. But because we can't, then we have to come up with a doctrine. Well, it must be that God doesn't want to heal her. Or it must be that miracles aren't for today. That's our two positions. Neither one of them are founded in Scripture at all. But they're taught to you, just like the horse fall, just like Paul fell off a donkey. They're taught to the Christian. Reinforced, 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 reinforced. How many people did Jesus say no to? How many? Lord, if you're willing. Did he ever say, hold on a second, let me see if I'm willing. Hold on a minute. I don't know. Let me, you know, get Gabriel down here. Let's go through this woman's life. Let's see, what, see if... Uh, she did what? When? Well, I don't know if I'm willing today. You clean that up. You come back to me in a couple of weeks and maybe we can talk about it. Never did that. Never did that. You say, well, that's the Lord. Yeah, you don't understand the concept of the resurrection. Christ, all power and heaven earth given to me and he gives it to you. We are in the Father. We are in the Son. We are sons and daughters. We're co-equal with Christ. I know that's hard for people to believe. Seated in heavenly places with him in equal authority with Jesus. He gives a command upon his church. It's the, and he doesn't rescind it. And if Christians don't think they're going to be accountable, if Jesus gives a command, you think you're going to answer for it. I just want to ask a question. If a king gives you a direct command, you don't think he's going to go. Did you do what I told you to do? What makes us think we're not going to answer for his commands? When he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils and cleanse lepers. And we do none of that. That's a, that's a command, it's an emphatic imperative. It means, figure it out, Kevin, because this is what I've told you to do. I'm well aware of it. I'm gonna go, Lord, I told him. I not only told him, I tried to demonstrate it. I tried to teach it, not only because I know so much, but because I had to learn it for myself. I'm not so arrogant as to think I know anything. I know nothing. The wisest position you can ever be in front of Jesus is I know nothing. I know nothing. You know everything. Anything I do know is subordinate to what you say. Anything I do know is a foundation upon which you can build further upon. But I know nothing. I know nothing. And you have to want it. People go, I want it, I want it. Do you have any idea what it costs? You have no idea. It's available to you. All Christians can have it. All Christians can have intimacy. All Christians can have... There's so many things that are available to you that are yours by inheritance. And you can taste it right away. But there's a difference between taking that little sippy cup of wine. You know what I'm saying? So we just come back from Disney, the food and wine festival, and they give you that little that little thimble. There's a difference between that and the dude putting a bottle of Cab sap on the gang with a glass. There's a difference between measure and fullness. Christians can have the fullness. But the question isn't whether you can. The question is, is, are you willing? And then people will immediately go, I'm willing. And then when the cost is laid out before them, they quickly prove that they're not. Quickly. I'll just share with you. I'll just share this story with you. This is important. This is important. Because I believe God's calling His people higher. I believe we're in a generation where the world is shifting. We're in a generation where there's a great setup being taken place. And part of that setup is a delusion that will come. On the whole world. It will come. And I believe God wants truth. And He wants His people to understand truth. I prayed about healing. I pray about healing all the time. It's a big big thing for me. I love the prophetic. I'm into the prophetic. All in. But I also want healing. And so I asked the Lord for healing. And I asked Him, what's the, what's the secret here? What's the key? He showed me a vision. If you want to have visions, come to Firestarters tonight. We're doing vision encounter. Says is that in the Bible? 100%. Come and see. And he gave me a vision. I saw somebody chiseling on a wall. And he said, my people's knowledge of healing is, is primitive. So my response is... Okay. Say this with me. Anytime, Anytime the Lord says something to you, it is an invitation to another question. Do you understand that? When God says something to you, He's inviting you into a dialogue. He's inviting you into a question. So when He says to you, my people's knowledge of healing is primitive, and I'm like meditating on that. And I'm thinking... Well, if it's primitive, then there must be sophisticated knowledge of healing. And so I said, I want, Lord, then give me the sophisticated knowledge of healing. And he says to me, <laughs> my favorite stories, because I love it. He goes, you can't handle it. <gasps> I can't handle it. Oh, my gosh. Jesus doesn't love me. I'm such an unworthy Christian. Oh, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Do so you know what I said? Ready? Say it again. Whenever Jesus says something to you, it is an invitation to further dialogue. I could have been like, Oh my gosh, he's told me I can't handle it. I'm such a loser. I could have taken it and just said, The Lord has said the, the healing knowledge of his people is primitive. And I could have taught a sermon series on that. Not knowing anything more than that. Just because God has told me this. We have primitive knowledge of our healing in our churches. We're primitive. We're primitive. True. But I asked him, I said, then give me sophisticated. He says, you can't handle it. So my next question, my next statement to him is, then take me apart, dismantle me, build into me the capacity that is necessary for me to handle that. Easy thing to say, easy thing to ask for, difficult thing to receive. I'm gonna tell you right now, first thing you know what he takes apart first. Anybody know? Anybody know? It's a process. He takes apart your thinking. That is the very first thing he confronts. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you be transformed. That you present yourselves a living sacrifice. It is the transformation of the renewing of the mind. You're the sacrifice. The first thing he does is he confronts you on your thinking. And that's where you either proceed or that's where you'll stop. Most Christians can't get past their thinking. They can't. They can't get past the doctrine. They can't get past the the denomination. They can't get past what Uncle Betty said to them 20 years ago. They can't get past their thinking. They can't get past their own mindsets and their own ideologies of who God is. Not who He says He is, who they think He is. He confronts everything. Everything. And your pride is wounded. He wounds your pride. You don't think He's going to wound your pride? He wounds your pride. And you know what? Say it with me. When Jesus, Jesus wounds my pride, wounds my pride it, hurts. it hurts. You think it tickles you? Oh, Jesus is tickling me. Oh, tickle me, Jesus. Tickle me, daddy. <laughs> I'm all in. Children. I get it. I love it. But that is such an infantile state. That's wonderful in the beginning. But that's not really where he wants. A bunch of kids that know how to get tickled are not going to change the world. Transformed people change the world. Right? David didn't slay the giant because he was nursing on a bottle in the back while his dad was tickling him. David had to experience some things. David had to be challenged with some things. David had to form a mindset and a mentality that was necessary for him to become what he was. God's going to challenge your thinking. He's going to completely... That's, what do you think? How do you think I know when I come before the Lord? The smartest thing I can say is I know nothing. Do you know why? I'm saving some, some people in here. You're going to save years if you just listen to this statement. <laughs> I'm gonna save you years, years of you fighting God. You know nothing. I don't care what you know. You know nothing. The only good idea you have is the Holy Spirit. That's the only good idea you have. You yield, you listen, you do. And then once he's dismantled your thinking, he's going to tell you to do things you don't want to do. Again, he wounds your pride by showing you don't know anything. And then he humbles you by calling you to do things you don't want to do. things That's right. Right there. That's like word. Right. He calls you to do. You you don't want to do that. He puts you in a position of humility. Well, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? He's like, yeah, and I don't really care. Take the garbage out. Wash their feet, serve these people. No one sees me back here, Lord. I'm back here in the children, and nobody sees me. Nobody sees me. I'm called to the front. You no, know, it'll tell you not in that condition, you're not. If you cannot be faithful with little, you will not be entrusted with much. He'll call you to do things that you don't want to do. You will, if you think you want to do it, you're crazy. And if you think you're doing it because people see you and are going to give you accolades, again, you're wrong. Heaven sees. Same thing in your workplace. Some of you are believing God for things like this. You hear me talk about this all the time. You're believing God for things. And he tells you, shut up and show up. Oh, you know, you don't understand. This company doesn't appreciate me. They don't deserve my time. They don't deserve my resources. And the Lord will say, and you don't deserve the promotion. So until you can shut up and show up, we're not going anywhere, Kevin. So shut up and show up and serve the people you don't want to serve. But it's humiliating, Lord. She came to the company after me and she's been promoted over me. Yep. How do you feel about that? I feel humiliated. right on. That's where he wants you. No, I'm to ride on the high places. Once your character is formed, and if your character is not formed, you're going to fall from the high place every single time because you don't have the character to hold it. If you're doing it for the praises of people, guess what? The praises of people come and go. Same people that said hosanna were the same ones 2 to 3 days later that were saying crucify him. Same crowd. Hosanna in the highest. Save now, son of David. Hallelujah. The king is here. 3 days later, crucify him. Same crowd. Same crowd. He changes you. He challenges your thinking. He transforms you. Jesus came to show us the Father. He's, a God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a God who's in concert with Himself. This is the communion of the saints. You were talking about servitude and humility. The Godhead is a pure reflection of servitude, humility, and honor. The Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Son. The Son serves the Father. The Father serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father. It is a constant orchestra and concert of humility and service among the Godhead. It is a constant interplay. There is no exaltation. There's no way Jesus, the Father's Father's exalted over all. He says, I give all authority to the Son. And the Son says, I give it to the Spirit. And the Spirit says, All glory and honor to the Father. And people are confused. Well, who are we honoring? (laughs) All of them. The concert of the Godhead. We serve the Father through the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. The Father gives us the kingdom by the blood of the Spirit, by the blood of the kingdom, by the blood of the by the blood of Jesus. Father, it's it's this constant interplay of humility. And we think we're supposed to be arrogant. And we think that we're supposed to reflect anything but a lack of servitude one to the other. The household of faith is to be a constant place of empowerment. What can I do to lift you higher? No, brother. What can I do to lift you higher? No, sister. What can we do to lift you higher? No, brothers. What can I do to lift you higher? That's the church. That's what it's not just demure. We're, we're empowerment unto destiny. Empowerment unto the glory that God has placed upon us. At the expense of self. Oh, well, I will empower people as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Well, you'll never empower anybody. It's going to cost you something. Who told you it isn't going to cost you anything? Where do we get that from? Jesus paid it all. That's where we get it from. No. David said, I'll make no offering to the Lord. It cost me nothing. It's going to hurt. It's going to cost you something. You're going to invest in people and they're not going to care. Ten lepers? I could do therapy on pastoral ministry off that verse alone. Help people, serve people, sacrifice for people, poor people without. They go. Oh, they don't even say thank you. They just leave. Just leave. Oh, but when I need a word, brother, I come over here. But I like the church over here where the pastor wears a suit. Oh, but when I, wear the, when I need a word, brother, I come over here. But I like the, I like the church with the smoke machine. But when I need the Spirit, Kevin, I come over here all the time. I just go, hey, be blessed. You're God's children. You're God's sons and daughters are not mine. And I know every pastor has the same thing. Has the same thing. Now, I asked the Lord one time, I'm like, what is this? And he's like, 10 lepers, Kevin. 10 lepers? I healed 10. One said thank you. One? I'm sorry. Let's just put this in context. You have a disease that is your skin is falling off your body. Your bones are breaking off. You are a complete disgusting looking mess. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody wants to be around you. You have to walk down the street your whole life. And every time you come in contact with people, you have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's what the leper had to do. Whenever the leper came into anywhere associated with people, they had to shout unclean. Jesus heals them. Your whole life you've been this way, man. 20 years, 30 years, five years, five days is enough. And nobody can say thank you. Nobody can say thank you. You can't pause for four minutes of your life and take the time to make an effort to say thank you. Well, I don't know. I don't feel like coming to church today. Really? Really? You can't take two and a half hours out of your life and tell Jesus thank you? You can't come and honor Him and worship Him and receive from Him and understand who you are. Dude, slap yourself in the face. I'm serious. You need to have a come to Jesus with you. What's wrong? What's missing in your life that you don't understand honor? You don't understand what you've been given. You don't understand who He is and you don't understand who you are. I'm a child of God. You don't know it. You don't act like it. Just a thought. (laughs) We're to be a people of servitude. It's always been about family. We have a father who's good. He loves us. He's wildly wild about us. And he's made provision to come to him. I don't know if you know this, but the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know that. You get the Holy Spirit. And when you're in an atmosphere like this, you don't even need to do anything. The Holy Spirit is here. You don't even need to take it to another level. You don't even need to step in because you're already in the atmosphere. The Spirit's here. The world doesn't get this. You do. You do. Say, it's too good to be true, Kevin. No? Say it with me. It's so good, it is true. <laughs> it's not too good to be true. It's so good, it is true. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but by me. Most people find the way, but they don't find the destination, which is the Father. Jesus is the way to the Father. What is he saying? Into the communal relationship of the family of God, into the communal relationship of the family of the Godhead, I am the way. I am the way. There's no other way. No Buddha, no Allah, no Krishna, no L. Ron Hubbard. no God as you understand Him to be, no universalism of Jesus Christ. Inclusionists. We're all saved. No, we're not. Not everybody's saved. Got got news for you. (laughs) Say it with me. The people, People, myself included, must Must. be born again. again. Not born again. You're not saved, huh? Not saved. It's just not. God, who Hebrews one says talking about how God speaks in various times, He spoke through the prophets, has now spoken to us. It's it's translated the Son, but in the Greek, it means a Son. So in times past, God spoke to the people through the prophetic and through the, through the prophetic word. It was a distant communication. Now speaks to us through sonship. Sons and daughtership through Jesus Christ. There's two levels. Christians are in both of these spheres. Most Christians are under this place where it's, it's, it's where God speaks authoritatively with instruction. That's so the whole context of God. The authoritative construct of God. Speaking instructionally and authoritatively. That's a part of it. But that is like the basic part of it. The higher part of it is relational. He wants to speak to us on the basis of father to son, father to daughter. That's what he wants to. So God speaks. He'll speak on the basis of authoritative instruction, if that's all you understand. Or he'll speak to you through the son, which is through the sonship. We are sons and daughters through Christ Jesus unto our father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Levels of understanding among Christians. You find this too. This is, again, I'm trying to give you the right framework of God so that your mind can get get around this, that you can understand what this is all about. This isn't Sunday going to meeting. People think, we're servants of God. That's one level. People who say, we're friends of God. That's another level. The highest level is what? Come on, elevate. Sons and daughters. That's right. We're servants of God. We're always going to be servants of God, Kevin. Servants of God. Yeah, I'm a son who serves. We're friends of God. God's just my big buddy. We're friends. You know, I'm a son who was friends friends with his father. My relationship is son, period. And I'm about my father's business. It is the filter of my life. And it is supposed to be the filter of your life. I'm a realtor. No, you're a daughter who does real estate. I'm a mother. No, you're a daughter who raises children. I mean, pick whatever you do. I'm a doctor. No, you're a son who practices medicine. Sonship and daughtership precludes everything else. It is our framework. It is our grid. There is no other mentality. We don't look at the world through business. No, you're a son who conducts business. That's the filter. And your business is subordinated to the will of your father. What would would my father have me to do with this business? What would my father have me to do with this family? What would my father have me to do with these things? That is the filter of the believer's life. And we think that God's all about your business. He's not about your business. He's about His business. And if we're true sons and we're true daughters, then we're about our Father's business. Jesus said in John 17, He said, I have manifested your name. Well, what name did He manifest? Yahweh? They knew Yahweh for over 1,500 years. He wasn't manifesting Yahweh. What name was God Jesus manifesting? He was manifesting the Father. Making known is the word manifesting. I made known. I made known that you are Father. All things have been delivered to me. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one can know the Father except the Son and the one whom the Son reveals. So God has set the terms of the relationship that if you say with me, if I want to relate to the Father, I must go through the Son. Say this with me. He welcomes all... With open arms. All who come to me, all in no way cast out. I'm not going to get rid of you. You want to come to me. Jesus said, I will show you the Father. And the Father says, I will not show myself to anybody who does not come through the Son. So it's through the relationship with Jesus that we come into a greater understanding in the heart of our Father. It doesn't happen any other way. And so God sets the terms of our relationship. You understand that? God chooses to set the terms by which He will relate to man. We, I get, I, it just baffles. I don't know if it's an American thing. I'm pretty sure it's an American thing because in the American church, like, it's like, I'm like, are we reading the same Bible? You know, I listen to these guys and it's like, are, are we reading the same gospel? Cause it's as if we get to set the terms with God, you know, we don't get to set any terms. Well, God just relates to me and just all these other things. No, no, you relate to him. He does not relate to you. It's this narcissism that we have in Western society that we actually think it's all about us. It is. When we are in Europe, the, the Germans would always be fascinated. they go, man, anytime an American gets on camera, it looks like they all act very natural. Like, because you'd get the Germans on camera and they'd be like, uh, 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 they wouldn't know what to say. You get an American on camera and they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like we're we're like into this whole vanity thing, and we got the whole you know the cameras are on me all the time because why would the cameras not be on me? Because it's all about me. It's all about me, you know. And all, you know, it's not it's not an issue that you're not important, but Jesus is far more important than you. Your light, like, you must decrease; He must increase. There's no other way. And we preach we, we're preaching this kind of self serving gospel where God will meet you on your own terms. No, He won't. No, he won't. And you'll probably try to relate to him for two years only to realize God doesn't relate to you on your own terms. He relates to us on his. It's through the Son, And he determines not only how he will relate to us. He sets the terms of his relationship because those that worship God must worship him. How in spirit? We think we get to define how God relates to us. He will relate to us on the basis of His Son through the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual, intimate relationship. That's the point. That's why many people stay on the way of Jesus but never come into the home of the understanding of the Father. It's a privilege and honor. What manner of love is the Father set upon us that we've been called the children of God. You're regenerated. You have new generation. So if you still think, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm over here. My Scott Irish heritage, if I'm still identifying with my Scott Irish heritage, I'm wrong. You're still identifying with your Cuban heritage, you're wrong. You're still identifying with your Puerto Rican heritage, you're wrong. You have been regenerated. You are not born of the earth, Christian. You are born of heaven. You are not born of an earthly bloodline, you are born of a royal bloodline. And you need to reframe your thinking to understand that. Well, everybody in the family has been poor. Not me. Nobody in this family succeeds. Not me. That's got to be your confession. I'm not born of y'all. I'm born again by the blood of Jesus. Well, we all got mental illness in this family. Really? Poor you. Coming your way too. Nuh-uh. huh. uh You got to know this stuff. This has to be your reality. You have to stop identifying with crazy. And you have to start identifying with king. You have to stop identifying with diminished. And you have to identify with royalty. You're not royal in yourself. You're royal because he says you are. You are Everything you are is because of him. Everything that you can be is in him. So what else? Why would you pursue anything or anyone else? If it's all in Jesus, then go all in on Jesus. No, it's all in the PhD. Is it? Is it? Lots of unemployed PhDs out there. We know God as Father. When you know God as Father, you have identity. Identity is the primary filter of our lives. You're sons and daughters, Christian. We preach it like a mantra here. Like a mantra. I say, what's your mission statement? I say, we don't have a mission statement. We have a mantra. What we do? Make disciples. But, but our mantra is, you're sons and daughters of the highest. you heirs of this world and the one to come. You are heirs to his purpose. You are heirs to his promise. You are heirs to his power. And accept no substitutes. You can if you want to. (laughs) But why would you? Why would you accept an identity over your life that's less than the one he's put upon you? Daughter. Son. Royalty. Why? Why would you accept anything less than your inheritance? No, seriously. We do it all the time. We accept less when he has more. We accept, we accept such little things. If Jesus paid for it with his blood, it's paid for, Christian. You may not know how to access it. You might not even be aware of it's there. But it's yours if He you paid for it with his blood. And if He paid for it with his blood, he wants you to have it. It is his honor to give good gifts. We just play this game. So if we were to go before a king, and most people, we don't understand kingdoms anymore. Well for better and worse. And one of the aspects of a king is if a king gave you something and you turned it down, it was considered an insult. Right? Yeah. So if he said, I want to give you this treasure chest of gold, Jesse, just because I think you're awesome and I just want to give it to you. And you were to go, oh, no, no, king. No, no, no. Far be it from me that I should ever take such a thing from you. He'd look at you like, first of all, like, are you crazy? And then second of all, he would feel insulted by the, by the rejection of his offering. Because they would never offer it if he didn't want to give it. Jesus isn't an Indian giver. He doesn't play games. If he wants to give it, if he says he's going to give it, he's going to give it. It's just the way it is. You have a home. It's the second thing. So it, it, knowing God as Father, you have an identity, you have a home. Say it with me. This world is not my home. Say it with me. I'm just passing through. The older you get, the more you sing hallelujah on that one. You're like, Hallelujah. When you're 20, you're like, well, I want to get a house. And then you get laid, you get older and you're like, when am I getting out of here? When am I leaving? That him? In my father's house, there are many mansions. Say with me. If it were not so, he would have told me. I go there now to prepare a place for you that where I may be, you may also. That word house is the word oikos. In my father's sphere of influence, there are many regions of access. I go there now to prepare the place for you. That's what it says. We interpret it like it's a house with a lot of rooms. No, it's the sphere of our Father's influence. In the sphere of our Father's influence, in the sphere of our Father's kingdom, there are many regions with which we can access. Jesus has prepared the place for us. He's prepared the means, the way in which we can access Him. We think it's just our own little home in glory land. This is speaking of way bigger terms than that. Way greater understanding. Say this. Father, in your sphere of influence, show me the region that you have prepared for me. Anybody want it? You sure? Yeah. I don't. You guys aren't convincing. So. But you know what? The Holy Spirit takes you at your word, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> this world's not our home. We look for a home that is yet to calm. Hebrews, security. The fate of this creation is not subject to man, Christian, so stop freaking out about the environment. I, I don't get this. Christians are like tripping over the environment. You know when I always ask the Christian? I know all the greenies are going to go, We're going to beat you up, Pastor. Don't you talk about the environment. No, let me just be clear. I'm a biblicist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a biblicist. The Bible does not speak of the earth and the environment the way that it's the the world's going to end, but it's not going to end with an environmental disaster. It just isn't. It's the fate of this creation is not subject to man. You think this is all subject to human will? The fate of the creation is within. God holds certain things within His sovereignty. And the fate of the eternal creation is within His sovereignty. That's one of the few things He, he intentionally holds within His sovereignty. This The, the, the sea levels aren't good. The sea levels rise, whatever. Who knows? Whatever. It may happen. I'm not looking to see, well, are we measuring the sea level? Is the sea level rising? There's far more things to be concerned about that if you really want to get biblical... <laughs> There are things that directly rate. I just watched this show last night, man, on genetic modification. It's on. And if y'all are up on this, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, they'll be marrying and giving in marriage. Do you know what else they were doing in the days of Noah? Genetic modification. That's why God flooded the earth. Because they're genetic, they were genetically modifying human beings. Angelically. The sons of God and the sons of women. You guys know the daughters of women? And if y'all are up on this... But it was genetic modification, and so as it was in the days of Noah, there was genetic modification. You want to be concerned about something? Be concerned about that. You be concerned about something? GMOs and genetically modified food. I told Sherry last night. Said the Bible says a jar of flour is a year's wages, or some astronomical amount of money. It's talking about a global famine. We think, well, that's environmental change. No, we're going to genetically modify our food until it becomes sterile and then our crops will not produce and it will create a global famine. That's way more of a plausible scenario than, well, the sun's going to get hot and the ice caps are going to melt and the farmer's fields are going to flood. No, (laughs) it's not going to happen. I don't know. It's my little rant, so just stick with me. Listen, guys, we need to be kingdom people. We need to focus on the things of the kingdom. And people are worried about getting out of here. Then we have this other cast of Christians who are like, Well, we're just waiting for Jesus to come and split the sky. And I always tell them, Well, why don't we stop worrying about when we're getting out of here and start focusing on why we're actually still here and actually do what we're supposed to do while we're here. Jesus is coming. This is true. (laughs) All right. All you environmental people, you can come beat me up. That's okay. We're stewards of the earth. That doesn't mean we're supposed to take. We're called to reinvest. But the odds of that happening, it's not going to happen. What you should be praying for is, is Jesus to actually come so that there can be peace, so that the kingdom can flourish, and that life can happen. Man's greed will always consume him. Always. These guys are doing this genetic stuff. They're all going, this will never be used for harm. We're only going to use this for good. Right. Right. Weaponizing the genome where you can create an entire species that can become neutered. Talking about eradicating rats in in, uh, New Zealand because they have a rat problem. The geneticist is there saying, we can intercept the genetic code of the rat and we can intercept sterility into the rat and within 5 to 10 years, these rats will be completely eradicated because they will not be able to produce or something along that line, somewhere in that line. In other words, we can eradicate an entire species simply by intercepting or genetically modifying them. They're doing the same thing with mosquitoes in, in Africa they're modifying the genetic code of the mosquito so that the mosquito cannot produce malaria or carry malaria. And I told Sherry, that's all great. But what happens if we make a mistake and we get that wrong? And now we've got a mosquito that brings not just malaria, but super malaria. (laughs) And we go, oops, we didn't see that one coming. (laughs) Crazy stuff, man. But that's biblical, the stuff going on in the middle East, the building of the temple, that should be of a concern to you. There will be a temple. I always tell my daughter, whether I'm breathing or not, when you see that temple being built in Israel, you need to start the clock. The temple will be rebuilt in Israel. For 2,000 years, they said it wasn't going to happen. It's going to happen. 2,000 years, they said Israel will not be a nation. Israel's a nation. 2,000 years, they said Jerusalem will never be the capital. The United States just declared Jerusalem the capital. Where, where's, where's the focus? My focus is on Jerusalem. My focus is not on the North Pole and whether the polar ice caps are melting. Just a thought. Salvation, you're secure in Christ. You cannot lose your salvation, Christian. Jesus says in John 10, I give, say it with me, He gives me me eternal life and I will never perish. perish. Just pause on that. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? Put one hand on your spirit, one on your heart. And I want you to say this. Ready? Say it. I am am. immortal. Immortal. I will never die. die. You're immortal. Did you know that? I mean, you are seriously immortal. Your body's going to die, but you're going to get a brand new one. I'm I'm asking for like the Ferrari model. That's kind of where I'm going. Bugatti, you know. Coinstar, that kind of race car kind of style. That's where I'm... I'm leaning into that one. You're a mortal Christian. You cannot die. What, what could you possibly fear? What could you possibly fear? Jesus said that no one will perish. Say this with me. No one can take me out of his hand. Say this. My Father has given them to Jesus. And my Father is greater than all. And no one can take them out of my Father's hand. So Jesus said, I gave I them eternal life. They are in me. And no one's going to take them from me. And if that's not good enough. My father whom I'm in submission to. And who I posture myself in lesser authority to. Because he, the, the condescending value of him becoming his man. Is greater. And no one's going to take him out of our father's hand. I mean he's trying to get the point across. That if you are truly born again. You are secure. And your sin does not disqualify you. Why do you live as if it does? Lastly. I got to close Hey, you know what? I'm closer to finishing than when I, and then when I began, so that's good. Provides the framework for living. Jesus said this, He who sent me is with me. He's speaking about the Father. Say this, Jesus is the prototype of the new creation. He's the divine prototype of the new creation. He is who we are to be like. He is who we are to follow. Jesus' life was to emulate the Father. He said, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, and I always do the things that please him. Our heart is to do the will of our Father. Our heart is to understand who we are, what we are, why we are, who he is. We're also to understand that our framework for living is to do what pleases our Father. A business person. What, Father, what pleases you in this business? What pleases you in this marriage? What pleases you in this home? What pleases you? How can I restructure my life to a, into a pattern and a grid that filters myself as a son or a daughter and follows, who you, follows what you want from me? Jesus says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. You hear me quote this all the time. I figured I'd put it up on a screen. He, who, who the first son said, He said to the first son, Go and work in my vineyard. And the son said, I'm not doing it. But he later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the second son and said the same thing. And he answered and he said, I will go for you, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two was a son who did what his father wanted? The one who said he wouldn't, but did. Right? The point is, if we're sons and daughters, we do what our father asks us. You can know him as father. To understand yourself in Christ is to understand that you are in a communal family. You are in a relational family. God is not interested in leaving you at one point. He wants to draw you into a deeper aspect of relationship if you will allow him to. Do you believe that? Is that lovely? Don't worry, lovely. I'm almost done. Where's Pastor Kevin gonna be done? (laughs) We're gonna take communion. Again, communion, it's again it's a family aspect of it. Common union. All right? We're gonna do is. We're going to pray. Jody's going to play. I'm going to pray. And y'all are going to make our way around and bring get the element and bring it back to the seat with you. All right? So let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for this communion. We thank you for this time of fellowship. Thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have an unbelievable amount of love in our direction by allowing us, God, to be sons and daughters. By allowing us to know You as Father. Lord, may we not neglect that relationship. May we know, Lord, that You are good. May we know, Lord, that You mean us no harm. And may we give ourselves permission. Say this with me. I give myself permission to be vulnerable with the Father. Through the Holy Spirit. Say this. I can trust the Holy Spirit. I can trust my Heavenly Father. They mean me no harm. So I give myself permission to be intimate and vulnerable with my Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. As Jody plays, just make your way up around and grab the thing and bring it back with you.